Whether it's hanging half a hundred out of Meadow and Field, or the run rules on the Diamond and Loves Field, we're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. With Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jaquez. He's Tyler Burton. Appreciate everyone joining us this evening, whether you're tuning in live on Twitter or on YouTube or catching us on the podcast later on. This is going to be a show that we're going to rely a lot on some audience participation here. So if you're in the chat, uh, feel free to let us know your opinions specifically on NIL as we start diving into that topic on how OU's doing there, how they might be able to improve, and just our overall outlook there. So if you have just ideas for ways you want that to change, how you want it to look differently, uh, let us know in the, there in the chat if you're watching on the live stream. And if you're catching us later on on the podcast, we still want to know. Let us know on Twitter. You can find us at the Mainline Pod. We are a Red Dirt Media show. And uh, you can find all the links in our show description as far as like where you can go listen to other shows like with Nick Anderson and Caden Helms and some of the other stuff that Red Dirt's going to have coming down the pipeline here very soon. So make sure you're following all those social media channels there. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? Cold, Adam, out here in the uh, state of Colorado, particularly more specifically in the Denver area. It is freezing cold. Shout out to all the people back home in the state of Oklahoma. I know that you guys are kind of going through some frigid cold temperatures as well over the last few days but yeah out here in denver it's been uh i don't think it's gotten above zero uh, within like the last 72 hours the wind chill has been in the negative 20 to negative 30 range so not a good time to be outside um but you know one of the best parts about each and every week getting a chance to come on this show talk some football talk some ou athletics uh it's gonna be a quick show tonight obviously not too much is going on right now in the world of sports a little bit of things have kind of died down a little bit obviously the zach alley hire uh was made official casey thompson uh has found his has found his next home uh and what is going to be his final home uh and that's going to be in an oklahoma uniform so uh oklahoma he's dying like he's going to retire at home not the (laughs) not the intent but again casey has played a lot of football has spent a lot of time in college um, and, you know, what, what better way for him and that family to kind of come to an end for uh, for Casey's collegiate career? Now you've got three Thompson uh, men that have played football at the University of Oklahoma. Pretty good story. Uh, f- fantastic. Ex- excited about it. It's going to be good for Jackson Arnold. It's going to be good for that quarterback room. Uh, having another veteran, you know, leader uh, as part of this football team that's, you know, been in the fights, you know, has played in the OU Texas games, has performed extremely well in the OU Texas games. So make no mistake about it. Jackson Arnold, QB1 going into next season. But now you've got another guy uh, to throw in there with, you know, a, a Michael Hawkins, you know, uh, a Brandon Zerbrug, you know. So it's making Oklahoma better. Zach Alley, like we talked about, kind of a little bit a week ago. I feel like that's been – we'll have more time over the course of the offseason to dive into Zach Alley a little bit. Fantastic hire. Um, that, that's all I'm going to say about it. Oklahoma, I think, kind of hit it out of the park on this one. Um, obviously, you know, appreciate Ted Roof, all the uh, – uh, all the uh, work, you know, sacrifice, you know, all the effort that he put into this program each of the last two seasons. But I think that this is a really good sign for Brent Venables, Adam, because, you know, make no mistake about it. You put the friendship aside, you put the personal relationships aside. Brent Venables did what he needed to do to get this football team, especially on the defensive side of the football, especially from a recruiting standpoint, to the next level. Super excited, stoked to have Zach Alley as part of the staff in Norman, Oklahoma. 
Yeah. And I think that kind of brings us to, you know, those are side pieces. We'll have lots of time to talk about, you know, depth chart and new coaching. Although Zach Alley doesn't really feel like a new coach. It feels like there's a lot of similarities there. So it's just a continuation of, of what we're already <laughs> doing, um, but at a higher level. So that's exciting. We'll have more time to dig into that if we choose to in future weeks. But I think this week we're talking about something we talked a little bit about last week. And I saw K Bear there in the chat talking about you know, what's going on with offensive linemen in the portal. And that's kind of what's spurring our conversation around NIL, you know, is OU doing enough there? Do they need to do more? What do they need to change strategy wise? Because we're seeing lots of different things. It's like ever changing landscape on NIL really like every year is slightly different. Um, and we're seeing some schools do better than others. So I think a good way to maybe start here, Tyler is does OU have an NIL problem right now? I think the short answer, you, for me, I'm going to divide this into two separate categories. Within the high school recruiting rankings, pulling kids, um, you know, seniors in high school, I don't think so. I think that in Oklahoma, it's been very, very clear, especially when you look at, you know, some of the guys that Oklahoma has landed each of the last two recruiting cycles. Oklahoma is playing the NIL game. Make no mistake about it. Anytime that you're in the running to get a guy like David Stone or a Jane Jackson, um, you're you're clearly doing something other than just having the you know the solid relationship between your coaching staff and said recruit, uh, as well as you know the, obviously the ties to the state of Oklahoma with David Stone. So make no mistake about it, Oklahoma is playing the NIL game and they're playing it well, um, you know, in, in a lot of different instances. But I do think you have to, when you have to look at the transfer portal, yes, I, I think that Oklahoma does have an NIL problem. And Adam, just to kind of throw this over to you. Brent Venables has always talked about having a program that is based on relationships. It's relationship driven. We're not going to put you know a price tag on it. It's not going to be a transactional type of program. And I guess what my question to you, Adam, is how far are you willing to go before you kind of die on that hill? Because you look and see what some of the other programs around the country that are doing. You know, Texas A&M, it hasn't worked out for them, but make no mistake about it, they are bringing in the talent. It's a culture fit. It's a coaching staff problem. Uh, but, you know, time and time again, Texas A&M is continuing to play the NIL game, bring in these elite level guys from the transfer portal. Ole Miss is doing a hell of a job. Texas, they got another couple of guys today. Um, they are continuing to position themselves well within the NIL space in terms of getting guys in and out of the transfer portal. And again, I'm not saying that Oklahoma is not playing the game because they clearly are. Anytime you get a guy like Deion Burks and, you know, a couple of the, uh, uh, the, the kids on the defensive side of the football, Oklahoma is doing things well, but there's levels to this game and Adam, either you adapt or you die and you're going to get laughed by the rest of the field. And especially with Oklahoma going into the sec, I know that Nick Saban has retired and people are all of a sudden thinking that that's going to better Oklahoma's chances, you know, within their program competing in that conference. Yes. Maybe a little bit to an extent, but there's a lot of other really quality, you know, sound football programs that are in that conference that Oklahoma's going to get very well acquainted with here in about 10 months time. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that there is Oklahoma does have an NIL problem. And if you're not willing to play the game to the, the level of some others, uh, then you're going to be lining up against some of these, uh, some of these guys that you're getting outbid for. And that could be the difference between winning and losing ball games. You say it's either adapt or die. And that is one thing that has me very well concerned with the current state of, you know, OU recruiting. I think we're all pretty happy with we're around in that seven and nine range pretty much every mm -hmm. year. I, I'd rather be top five. But I think we're building towards that top five recruiting class. I think we're moving sure. in the right direction. There's there's plenty of balance there. Hasn't really not a whole lot to do with your high school recruiting because, like you mentioned, that is something where Brent's talked about time and time again. It's built on relationships. There isn't an NIL component there, 
you're not going to pay some of those high school guys nearly as much as you would as someone that's proven something on the field that's maybe coming in through the portal. So I'm satisfied with how it looks from a recruiting perspective. I think I'd still, I'd still like a little bit more on the NIL side there, um, just so we can maybe win some of those key battles um, and, and differentiate there. But I'm okay with where that is right now. It's really the transfer portal side of things because it's incredibly difficult to build a relationship with somebody over the course of 10 days, like most of these transfer portal recruitments go. Like you're, you're just not going to win out on the relationship side of things. It has to be very NIL focused. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, I agree with James in the chat there. You're not going to win, you know, with portal guys, with all portal guys, I think is, is the word that I would put in there. Um, but like Michigan had portal guys on their roster. Washington had tons of guys on their roster that were from the portal. Same thing with Alabama. They have a few key pieces here and there, but it's not going to be exclusively uh, guys from the portal. You're still going to have a healthy base of what you recruited in high school, but the way college football is, the way mm-hmm. there's about you know 10 to 20% of the roster that turns over every year from every team, including Georgia, including Bama, uh, it's just the way it is. You're going to have to get some guys from the portal. I don't think that you can win a cha- you can't win a national championship solely re- relying on the transfer portal. You you build your program from the ground up, coming from kids from the high school recruiting ranks. But I think that the transfer portal can be the difference between winning a national championship and winning a conference title and just making it to a 12 tweet 12 team playoff. Um, you look at some of the programs that have really benefited that have been able to turn those transfer portal additions into big time playmakers that translate into wins on the field. You look at Florida state this year, a guy like Keon Coleman transferring from Michigan state, automatically your best wide receiver on your football team, a mismatch. Every time you take the field, Adonai Mitchell is transferred from Georgia coming over, coming down to Austin, uh, becoming part of Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Uh, you know, he was a fantastic addition as well. Washington, um, who, you know, shout out to that fan base. They're really going through it the last couple of weeks. But, you know, Michael Penix, the transfer from Indiana. I'm not sitting here saying that the transfer portal, you need to go out there and stock up on 15 to 20 of the most highly touted guys that you can possibly find. But if you're in Oklahoma's position and you look at a guy like Lance Hurd, who when you look at the layout, you look at the overall makeup of your roster, particularly the offensive line group going into next season, Lance Hurd becoming a part of your team could be the difference you know, between possibly seven and five type season next year, or maybe in nine and three, because there's no more important position on offense outside of the quarterback position than the guy that's going to be protecting your quarterback's blind side. So when you've got a guy that's highly talented, uh, is highly touted, is highly skilled, coming from a place like uh, LSU that's got that much eligibility remaining, um, then yes, I know that we always talk about how, you know, you don't ever want to pay you know, a handful of guys, just a crazy amount of money because that has a chance to, you know, alienate them within the rest of the team inside that locker room. But, I mean, what's the alternative? Are are you going to go into the SEC relying on whether it's a freshman or maybe a true sophomore that has no experience playing in this whatsoever? Or do you not think that it betters your chances to be competitive and win games next year to get back to a college football playoff? And so maybe you drop a little bit heavier back to a guy like Lance Hurd who's going to be able to come in and instantly elevate your play on the offensive line. Um, Again, do I think that there's an NIL problem? Yeah, I think that there's a couple things that Oklahoma needs to improve upon, but you can't win a national championship with just portal guys, but you damn sure get a whole lot closer to be more competitive with it if you're able to land a couple of guys at key positions of need. And proof's in the pudding. There's programs that are winning national titles that are doing so. Um, Oklahoma's just got to find a way to bridge the gap. 
Yeah. And I don't want to single out Lance Hurd. I know we've talked about him as far as like a guy that could really help. I don't know necessarily without a shadow of a doubt that is all NIL is the holdup. And that's why he hasn't committed to Oklahoma. He hasn't also hasn't committed to Tennessee either. So, but, but I think the, the thought line, the thinking there remains because it's not just Lance Hurd. It's, uh, it's Chris McClellan. It's other guys that OU maybe didn't even, wasn't, didn't even get a visit for, wasn't even in the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, could have been one of the A&M defensive linemen. Like, oh, why would we even bother with player X from A&M? We know he's all about NIL. We're not even going to entertain it. And that, that's a possibility too. There's could be a whole bunch of names out there that just never get a look from OU because of their current status and situation. And I agree with you in the sense that, you know, the, a team like Ole Miss, they're going to have so many poor old guys. I don't think they'll ever win a national championship with that strategy. But what they are doing is they're probably positioning themselves, you know, and they've had like double-digit wins the last couple of years here. They're having incredible success by Ole Miss standards. They've risen themselves up to a point where when you look at the SEC in 2024, you talk about your 1A, your 1B, that's Bama and Georgia. And then below that, probably Texas somewhere there at number two. I know a lot of people will say, oh, they lost a lot of talent, but hey, they went to the playoffs last year. They're, they always reload with new talent. They've had some great success with wide receivers in the portal so far, so they're probably up there. And then that next tier of teams, it's Oklahoma. It's Ole Miss also competing for, for Lance Hurd. I think maybe they may be out of the running there in that scenario, but just taking the example of who he's talked to in this transfer portal cycle, Ole Miss, Tennessee, uh, Missouri's been a school that's come up, not necessarily for Lance Hurd, but a lot of other guys that uh, OU's been going after. Uh, Florida's kind of fallen below that group. But mm-hmm. you, you look at that tier and you go, okay, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Missouri, Oklahoma. One of those teams and programs mm-hmm. should not look like all the others. Nope. That's Oklahoma. Oklahoma should be a, a far tier ahead of that. They should be nipping on the heels of Bama and Georgia. Historically, that's been the case. All of a sudden, Missouri, Tennessee, Ole Miss. Now, I know Tennessee's won a national championship. It's been a long time. Um, but, I mean, they have a little bit better track record. But let's let's not kid ourselves. They're not Oklahoma. So that's my problem is that some of these teams that are, are below you in the pecking order in the general in the general just you know college football from 1945 until now, these teams have been below you now. Mm-hmm. And I know we're looking at just one year, but let's look back at the past two, three years and probably looking into the future. These teams have kind of risen themselves up to close to OU and mm-hmm. OU has not risen themselves up to a level of Bama and Georgia. That's concerning. And I feel like part of that is transfer portal related. Yeah, I think Oklahoma has definitely kind of come back to the pack. I mean, obviously Oklahoma is still an elite program. They're a blue blood in college football. But when you look at the landscape as a whole, some of these other programs that have essentially been bottom feeders, you know, for the better part of, you know, their entire program's history, you look at programs like like uh, Missouri, uh, you look at programs like Texas A&M. I'll, I'll give Tennessee a little bit more credit. They've, they've been competitive over the years a lot more yep. so than those. But in terms of recruiting, you know, you just look at the last 20 to 25 years before the before NIL was really, you know, as big of a thing. It's 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 always existed. Make no mistake about it. But now it's out there. There's no rules. There's no regulations. There's not anybody that's actually has control of this. NIL has allowed these bottom feeder programs, as I'll label them, a way to essentially transform your roster to where it closes the gap between you and some of the programs that are on the tier right above you. You look at Missouri, you look at, you know, Florida has been one that's been able to take advantage of that. Tennessee is obviously playing the game. Ole Miss is, you know, they're doing everything, anything and everything that they can. It kind of feels like the Rebels, they're pushing all their eggs in the 2024 basket to try and make a run at winning a national championship. Now, do I think it's going to work? No. Lane's going to find a way to choke 
Uh, he'll find a way to blow a couple of games that he shouldn't. But like I said, when when you refuse to, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, when you refuse to play ball, when you refuse to have a seat at the table and truly negotiate and throw around some of the money that is required. Now, I'm not sitting here saying, and James, you make a good point, You're when you go portal shopping, you're either overspending or projecting. Yes, I mean, make no mistake about it. I'm not going to go out there and pay you know, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars for you know a particular recruit that's maybe played less than a handful of games, and you're you're making this evaluation, you're making this payment strictly based on you know how this kid possibly projects once he gets into your program. No, I don't think you do that by any stretch of the imagination. But when you've got a guy like Lance Hurd or you've got a guy like Walter Nolan uh, that that enters into the transfer portal, that's got you know a little bit more proven track record of them being able to play at this level at a high level then yeah, I think that you've got to empty the piggy bank a little bit more because if you don't get them, somebody else that you're going to be competing against is going to have them. And I would much rather have them wearing crimson than I would, you know, wearing burnt orange or, you know, wearing that Ole Miss rebel blue or, you know, something like that. So again, I think Oklahoma's got them. You got to make a little bit of a change prioritizing going into next season. Let's take a look at a little bit of some of the responses that we got on Twitter. And if you're, you're watching us live, uh, feel free to drop your comments in there as well. But we asked Twitter, you know, Hey, are you satisfied with where OU is from an NIL perspective? And if not, um, what would you do to, to maybe fix some of that going forward? I'm going to go with uh, real Duke G uh, on Twitter. So not satisfied at all. He wants, you know, everything uh, to be unified under one central NIL collective. You know, some more clear messaging on what's going on there. Um, and um, he says, basically, I think in agreement with us, like we're doing okay with you know, high school recruits. I, I agree with Real Duke G in, in terms of, yeah, I think there needs to be more, more clear messaging. It's really tough because so much of this is, you know, behind the cloak of secrecy. So we can't ever talk anything really firm numbers or firm offers, or here's why this guy chose that school over this school. Like it's, 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 it's hard to really know what's going on there. But I do agree on the collective perspective. I think there needs to be more more clarity of like, and, and the school has done some of this of saying, hey, here's our preferred collective. It's Crimson and Cream. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be more of that. It needs to be more clear as to you know, which players are actually getting the money. Um, this is not to like dog on the people over at Crimson and Cream, but there's only three football players listed on the website as far as where the money's going. It's it's R. Mason Thomas, it's Billy Bowman, it's Nick Anderson. Those are all good players. Um, I don't know if there's other players being involved there as well, but from my perspective as kind of like semi uneducated about like where all that money's going and not having clarity there is that I, I don't know if that's going off to pay like a second string wide receiver who, who does need to get paid because like you need depth. Um, or is that all going to someone like Billy Bowman who we all appreciate? Mm-hmm. We know he needs the money too, but it's just hard to know. Like if you're giving collective or to these collectives mm-hmm. on a regular basis, like where is that money going? Adam, these kids are 18 to 23 years old. Um, if you're Trace Ford, you might be a little bit older. But in the world of NIL, these kids are prof- these kids are professional athletes. They might be in, in college. They might be attending class. But these guys are pros. They're being paid. They're being compensated for so. When NIL, when it was really, you know, kind of full steam, you know, everybody was behind it, you know, just a couple of years ago, we always thought that NIL was going to be something where – Athletes were going to be compensated by providing a service, whether it was going to, you know, uh, it was going to a car dealership and signing autographs at a grand opening or whether it was going to, you know, a, um, you know, going to a restaurant's grand opening or something like that. There would there would be a service provided and, and you would be compensated for it. I apologize for how that sounds. But 
I think that NIL moving forward to, I, I don't want to say it essentially levels the playing field, but I think that it would do the world of college football a whole lot of good, particularly for guys like you and me that, that, you know, follow this religiously and are always kind of pulling our teeth out. You know, when you see some of the dollar amounts that are being thrown around for these recruits to get them to come to their programs, I think that everything within an NIL standpoint, I think that the, I think that the dollar amount that these kids accept, you know, what, what, um, uh, how you're being compensated, what you're going to provide uh, for receiving this money. I think all of that should be public knowledge because, when you've got all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes, all this dirty hush money uh, that, that, that's going on, that's not being made available to the public eye, that's where I think that you're really you're you're really playing a dangerous game, and that's what the you know that's what college football is right now. So if you're gonna play, if you're going to accept NIL money, whether you're coming out of high school or whether you're part of the transfer portal, I think that all NIL deals from said school that you commit to should be public knowledge that everybody has access to be able to see how much you're being paid. Um, you know, ha- however long it's going to take you to make that money, when you're going to receive that money, what you're doing, you know, to essentially uh, be rewarded for that money. And it's not just, hey, we'll give you $750,000 to come play for here. Okay, well, we're over here at Texas A&M. Uh, well, and again, I'm throwing out fictitious names, but you get the point. We'll throw you $850,000. We'll give you an extra hundred k You come play here. I think that all those dealings in all of those financial numbers, I think that that needs to be made public knowledge. And I think that we would be in a lot better space, um, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, fan bases, as a, you know, the college football world as a whole, if that was public knowledge. I think Will on Twitter would agree with you. He said that Stutz, Bowman, Lacey, Terry, Woody um, didn't come back for free. You come here, you play well, then you get paid. That's how NIL should work. I agree with that. I agree with everything you just said, Tyler. I just Mm -hmm. think that's not the reality of the world that we're living in. Um, you know, I think in an ideal scenario, you do structure a deal that's, that's escalating. And I know that there's probably some rules that probably prohibit this type of deal from taking place. But my ideal scenario is a high school player comes to OU. You mm-hmm. say, Hey, you're going to get, let's just throw out $500,000. Like you're an elite five-star defensive tackle. We're going to give you $500,000 to come to OU. Here's how that's going to be structured. Instead of doing $125,000 each year, totaling up to four years for 500,000, you're going to get 75,000 year one. Year two, you're going to get 100,000. Year three, you're going to get 150. And my math's probably wrong. That's not going to add up to 500. But the idea is you get a little bit more each year. So it incentivizes you to stay in school. It incentivizes you to in the sense of like, let's use Caden Green as an example. He he goes in, he plays his freshman year, thinks, man, I had a great year. I should make a lot more money than what I'm making now. In this scenario, he gets a raise from year one to year two, whether he plays well or not. So he's already excited, looking forward to, hey, I'm sticking around another year. The coaches aren't running me off for, you know, being a bad teammate or, or just being like, you know, not developing, not putting in the work, whatever it might be. So he gets that natural excitement of, hey, I am getting a raise. And if he really is, way beyond expectations like you can renegotiate that but i think that's what it should be a scaling efforts because it's going to keep guys out of the portal because they're going to get a raise every single year whose responsibility is that to regulate it i mean the way that the ncaa is not going to get involved other than florida state which was like a slap on the wrist and like by the time by the time anyone ever gets caught on any of these types of things i'm not saying like just openly cheat and everything but like there's no rules or regulations like no one's there's no one's sticking to one standard or guideline really. So, mm-hmm. and I think you could tie it into things too. Like you can do it within the rules of that. You can say, Hey, in year one, we're going to, we're going to say you show up to like two appearances 
and that's $75,000. In year two, you're going to make $100,000. You're going to show up to three appearances and do an interview or something like that. Like you can scale that out and say, and make it make sense because you are adjusting to college as a freshman. You shouldn't be doing as much NIL um, actual activity. And then as you grow into mm -hmm. you know your role, you, you have the ability to say, hey, I can balance school and mm -hmm. practice and doing all these other NIL activities. That's how it should be. Well, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like being in the real world and getting a job. You know, when you start out with a brand new company, you know, you're essentially starting on the ground floor. You're not going to get paid an insane amount of money just to be able to come in. Uh, but, you know, they, it's essentially, Adam, it's a performance-based raise. I think that that's probably the, the best term that, that I would use to, to do that. I mean, because you look at the way the NIL is not regulated right now, and it's essentially being used as a buying tool to be able to get kids to come play for your said school in, you know, provided services. And, and again, make no mistake about it. You can't really fault some of these programs for doing it because it's not illegal. So if you're, if you have the pockets, the, the pocketbooks to be able to back up, you know, the Brinks truck to some of these kids, you know, and you decide that this is the route that you want to go down to fill out your roster. I mean, make no mistake about it. It's not illegal. So, uh, I mean, everybody has the opportunity to do it. It's just a matter of how much are you willing to play ball in this space um, OU's NIL department was as fair as we dealt with. The stipulations were clear and attainable. Yeah, and I mean, everything that we've heard, you make a great point, Sam. Um, like I said, Oklahoma, the the pitch is fantastic. It, the expectations, what you're going to be getting, I mean, it's as clear as day, and Brent Venables and this you know entire football staff have done a fantastic job doing so. But I, I – I don't know. I can talk myself in circles, Adam. I see where Brent Venables is going. Make no mistake about it. I think that in terms of for long-term success, what Brent in Oklahoma is doing is, you know, gives you the ultimate key to success in terms of, you know, building a sustainable program that can compete at the highest levels over an extended amount of time. But you, I mean, make no mistake about it. It is, you know, kind of a kick in the groin whenever you look out there and you see these guys that should be playing at a place like Oklahoma instead of a place like Missouri or Ole Miss. And they're just simply going there because the price tag is that much higher on the check that they're being issued. So, again, I can see it both ways. But, you know, Sam, you make a good point. I mean, OU is about as fair uh, and uh, and blunt as you can possibly get. And make no mistake about it, you know what you're getting when you sign on to play at Oklahoma. But it's a lot more than just, you know, the amount of NIL money that you're going to make. Oklahoma prioritizes its NIL pitch more so around the fact if you come in, you play at the University of Oklahoma, you get coached by the best, you get developed by the best, we're setting you up for your NFL contract instead of prioritizing, hey, we'll pay you this much money just to come in here and suit up and play for us. And you mentioned Sam there with the comment yeah. that OU's NIL department was as fair uh, you know, as they ever dealt with. Um, I believe that's that's Sam, a uh, family member of Caden Woolard, the new mm -hmm. defensive end out of uh, Miami of Ohio. So Welcome. some good feedback there as far as like how that actual conversation is is happening. Um, I do think there's something interesting here. And uh, Josh Wilson on Twitter mentioned this earlier today that kind of got me thinking about something. He says, um, you know, we aren't pulling, you know, as much elite talent from the portal as other people are. Um, yeah, everyone will tell you that we're playing the NIL game. So it's just a, a question of like, is the money being used more to keep players that we currently have on the team to stay at OU? Uh, I think we first think of Danny Stutzman, Billy Bowman returning, not to go off to another team, but to go off the NFL there. And mm -hmm. I, I do kind of wonder about that because we're kind of on the tail end of those guys' careers, but at the beginning of their careers, those guys' first year was what, 2021? And so that would have been the first year NIL was legal. They didn't come to OU with NIL, you know, expectations or anything like that. There wasn't really any 
any guidelines or any type of uh, path or system there on NIL. So mm -hmm. they're really organic in the way that they've created NIL for the most mm -hmm. part in their time at OU. So it makes me wonder, you know, as we progress two years from now, three years from now, where we have, you know, someone like David Stone, who's a junior or senior at that point, is, is that process going to be more of something that, you know, OU, NIL coaches, so on and so forth can say, David Stone came in during the NIL era, the box is checked, like he's taken care of. We don't have to worry about resolving that. Now we can focus donor efforts, NIL money, just all efforts in the direction of, okay, who's in the portal? What role do we need to fill versus mm -hmm. having to go that direction? Plus, how do we keep a guy like Danny Stutzman satisfied at OU? Am I making you, sense or, or you think I'm crazy? Yeah, no, I don't think you're crazy. And to throw this back to you, do you think there's a world in which it exists that within NIL, particularly for kids coming out of high school, do you think that there needs to be rules put into place regarding how much time a said recruit is required to spend in college before they collect NIL or before they're given the opportunity to transfer? Because legally, legally, I don't know how you do that. I, that's that's a good point. Just because I, I look at the Caden Green example, and again, this is a one-off. This is not going to happen every single year at a place like Oklahoma. Um, you know, I think that more so that situation had to do with less with the kid, more so to do with the things going on around Caden. Uh, but make no mistake about it, you shouldn't be forced as a as a college football coach. And you know, Nick Saban's going to talk about this one day uh, as he gets a little bit further removed from retirement. As a college football coach, when you when you're able to sign a kid to come in and play for your school, you should not have to spend any of your time having to sit there and re-recruit your guys, especially from a financial standpoint, because the the days of a true freshman being able to come in play extremely well, get some good film on tape, and be able to go out there and essentially raise your stock to where you've got other programs coming in, trying to poach you, throwing different money, throwing different offers out there. I think that that's a very dangerous game. And Oklahoma's obviously, you know, kind of, you know, been bit by that, you know, the, within the last couple of months, losing Caden Green and, and a couple of others. But I just think that there needs to be some type of law there needs to be a lot more a lot more you know rules and regulation there needs to be a governing body that is overseeing all of this because right now it's a free-for-all it's the wild wild west there's no rules whatsoever um and like i said if you're not willing to get your hands dirty and play the game then you're in a situation where you've got programs like missouri and tennessee and ole miss that are that are you know catching up and maybe even surpassing you we'll see what 2024 looks like um so we'll see if oklahoma adjusts I think we're probably headed in a direction. And I mean, they're doing a lot of things with the NCAA of trying to create this subgroup of schools. And it's a lot of change with college football that I'm, I'm not super thrilled about, but I do think we're heading in a direction where they are going to say, okay, we can create contracts for these players. Um, I, I do wonder like how that will work with transfer portal. And I, I, I could imagine that they'll do scenarios where, where they will say, Hey, you will get, you know, 20% of your pay in season. And then you will get an 80% lump sum on like March 1st of, of the mm -hmm. following year for, you know, for that particular season. So that like, Hey, if you transfer around Christmas, like you forfeit that 80%. So you might as well stick around and maybe they hit the second portal, but at that point it may not make sense to, you know, stick around. So I can see some things like that happening. We see that in the pros a lot where, or, or in like coaching contracts, like, Hey, if they're fired after January 1st, the buyout drops, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. I just, I feel like are coming. You know, Adam, NIL was always part of the was always part of the world of collegiate athletics, particularly within football. I think that the transfer portal 
just kind of you know expedited rapidly the the way the way in which all this stuff kind of goes down a um, couple things in the chat here uh who are the top four wide receivers going into next season uh i'm gonna have to go nick anderson Dion burks Jaden gibson and sorry some of you guys but uh uh jaleel farouk is, is part of the top four for me you got a couple other guys that i think are going to have an opportunity to be key contributors next season jaquez petaway um, you would hope going from year one to year two, especially with another full offseason being coached by Emma Jones, he's poised to take that next step. And then uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. I think Zion Kearney has an opportunity to be a true, I don't want to say impact guy, but he's going to be a guy that you look out there and it wouldn't surprise you to see him getting 10 to 15 snaps as a true freshman next season in an Oklahoma uniform. I, kid, I think the kid's that talented. You watch the tape. He's the closest thing to C.D. Lamb. Uh, that we've oh, yeah. seen at Oklahoma, that we've seen at Oklahoma um, since uh, since this CD uh, wore the crimson and cream. So good question there, guys. I was just about to ask you on that. Like you, you list your top four there. What percentage chance would you give that one of a Kearney, a Zion Raggins, or a Jaquez Padaway breaks into that top four and displaces one of those guys as you know non-injury related, of course. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I definitely think that there's an opportunity. You look at the talent, and you know, huge shout out to you know Emma Jones for what he's done in that wide receiver room each of the Pick last your couple. Poison. Of Pick your poison. Like I said, it's a problem for for Jackson Arnold the fact that he only has one football to go around for all of these guys. We're not even talking about the running back position, how loaded that group's going to be. Uh, but you know, I, I think that there is a lot of opportunity. The Oklahoma lost a couple of depth pieces in the transfer portal that really didn't make an impact at all um, when they were at Oklahoma. But then you also lose you know, a veteran, you know, and I'll even say a legend in Drake Stoops. Um, how are you going to figure out a way to, you know, just those are 80 more catches right there that Oklahoma's going to have to find other production for uh, to be able to get that, um, that that type of play. So, yeah, make no mistake about it, whether it's Raggins, uh, Kearney, uh, Jaquez Petaway, I think that all three of those guys have an opportunity going into next season to uh, kind of be a breakout player for this Oklahoma offense because all the attention is going to be on Nick, all the attention is going to be on Deion Burks, what he's going to do in year one from Purdue, uh, and then ultimately you know get the ball to Jaden Gibson because all the guy does is make plays when you throw him the football. Um, but, yeah, Oklahoma's wide receiver room. Amazing what this conversation was this time a year ago. Yeah. Compared to what we're talking about right now, with this team going for, with this wide receiver group going from possibly being a liability to now being a proven asset that's a strength of this football team, image or image Jones, well done, my friend. And Nick Anderson getting named uh, freshman uh, all all American for freshman teams this uh, earlier today. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, just lots of good things happening there, and we'll have tons of time to talk more about football in the coming weeks. Uh, continuing that conversation around NIL and portal and all the other things that are going on but we do need to give some shine to basketball not exactly the week that we were hoping for we thought hey there was a chance to go one and one playing two road games one was at kansas that was going to be a tall task to go up to lawrence and beat the jayhawks so you looked pretty solid in the first half and just kind of uh, fell behind a little bit in the second half there and then tcu uh -huh. was the one that i was really hopeful for i mean that's a, a team that there's no there's no easy team in the big 12 there's no easy road venue to play in in the big 12 but you had to figure like, hey, that was one chance that OU could have stole one on the road uh, and, and get ahead mm -hmm. of the game. Now, OU's seeding and, and projection in bracketology has not changed since last week. They're still a five seed in the same bracket as the number one overall seed, Purdue. So there's still a lot ahead of for OU, and they have a little bit easier week ahead playing West Virginia at home Wednesday night and then on the road Saturday at Cincinnati, another road game that I think OU certainly has a chance to, to steal. 
Yeah, Adam, when we when we came on the show a week ago, we talked about the road trips to Fort Worth and then the fall to follow that up with the trip up to Lawrence to play in the fog. We thought that a best case scenario, if Oklahoma could figure out a way to split those two games, that's a win for Porter Mosier squad. You're two and one going into going into a uh, uh, a little bit less challenging stretch of Big Twelve play. I don't know if that's fair to say it's the most challenging conference in America. Uh, but you know what? You go 0-2 on the road, a, a couple of games in which the turnover bug continues to bite this basketball team. Um, you know, Adam, when this team's playing and firing on all cylinders, that you know, I think that they are a top-four team in this conference. But, you know, the, the, um, the level of competition is so high for many teams across the board in this league that you have to bring your A game each and every night. The margin for error is so thin that if you're not, you know, if you're not bringing your A game, you're not firing on all cylinders, then you can get beat – just as easy on on any given night as you can win. So you lick your wounds. You're one and two in conference play. You're still a top 15 team in the country. You know, Adam, that just kind of goes to the level of respect for this Oklahoma basketball team, along with how tough the Big 12 is as a whole. The fact that you can lose both your games and then only fall six spots uh, in the AP top 25 rankings. But uh, you do get a chance to lick your wounds. You've got an opportunity this uh, this upcoming Wednesday night tomorrow uh, to protect, serve. More beer stands. More, more beer, beer stands. stands That's going to help. $2 beer stands. Everybody in, you know, show up to the LNC, be rowdy, create a home atmosphere uh, that uh, is pretty um, <laughs> pretty daunting to play in if you're in a weight, uh, if you're in a weight team. But yeah, you got an opportunity to go back, uh, to go back home tomorrow night, take on a West Virginia team that struggling. They're not quite like what we've seen from West Virginia in the past. So figure out a way to win that game. Then you go on the road to Cincy. Uh, this upcoming weekend and what's going to be, I think, at 11 a.m. or a 12 o'clock tip-off. We thought it's, it's not football season, but uh, pretty pretty damn close. So uh, I think Oklahoma, they bounce back this week. I think that they'll, they'll go 2-0 this week. Um, they'll get back above 500 in conference play. Um, and then if you're able to do that, then you've got a really tough stretch uh, coming right up after that with you know Texas, with Texas Tech, uh, UCF, and a couple others just like that. But make no mistake about it in this in this conference, there's there's no off days. You got to be ready every single night. Absolutely not. The Bearcats have not lost at home except for one game, a one point loss to the Texas Longhorns, who were ranked mm-hmm. in the top twenty five at the time of that game. So. It's not going to be easy. Cincinnati is a great basketball school, great basketball tradition. So you know they're going to bring it. This is a big matchup for them to, to welcome Oklahoma. It doesn't matter that OU isn't the same caliber of a basketball program as they are a football program. They're they're going to treat us just like we're the football team coming in. So it, it's going to be tough. Um, I'll throw out a name for you here uh, on the Bearcats. I, I want OU to really be able to tamper down, not let him get let him get too many points. Jizzle James. <laughs> An all-name guy. Um, he's really go. not. He's really not the uh, the guy on the Bearcats team. He only averaged about eight points. But I, I noticed that I had to say something uh, for a shout out there to Jizzle James on the uh, Bearcats. I think Adam, for this. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say like some of the questions that we've talked about in previous episodes um, earlier in the season was that okay, we don't have a lot of experience, at least tournament experience, on this team. Uh, we have always had questions about the big men on this roster. I think we're a step in the right direction. I think Sam Godwin and John uh, Hughley are, are playing nicely. I, I think even with Luke Northweather, he came off the bench, hit two threes. I'm happy with that. Like if you can hit two threes in the limited minutes that you have, you can kind of live with you know the good and the bad on the defensive side of the ball there. But I, I just want to see more consistency. I need to see better free throw shooting, and I need to see those bigs really stay out of foul trouble. That and bench points. Like it kind of those are the common things that we talk about in every basketball game of like 
same thing on football. Like who's going to win the turnover battle battle? Who's going to run the ball better? That, that's kind of what it comes down to in every basketball game. But those are the areas that I see lacking is we're not getting bench production really at all out of Suarez or, or Dart hard right now. Mm-hmm. Um, our big men are constantly in foul trouble. I think you've seen guys like Yuzan step up in, in conference play. JV McCollum stepped up in conference play. You know, Otega Owe is kind of right where he's been, but it'd be nice to see him take a step up as well. We just need the, the entire team to, I think, become a little bit more cohesive, get that consistency, mm-hmm. and, and, and make that run and, and, you know, get hot at the right time of the year. We're still a month or two away from that, but get hot at the right time. Yeah, and for all the fans out there listening or watching this show right now that are, you know, they were one of the, the people after the, you know, going 0-2, after the loss on the road to, to Kansas that was talking about, okay, same basketball team, we've seen this, you know, same song, different verse. We, we've seen this time and time again every year. Guys, this is a basketball team that's 13 and three. They just lost two tough road games to two, you know, top 25 basketball teams. I mean, make no mistake about it. Uh, is Oklahoma playing their best basketball right now? No. We know that there's an opportunity for them to get a lot better. And that, that's why you play the games. That's why you continue to grind over the course of the conference play. Uh, I think that Oklahoma, you want to be peaking at the right time. And, you know, hopefully Oklahoma and Porter Mosier is able to find their stride. Uh, and get back to playing that you know great brand of basketball that we saw early in the season. But make no mistake about it, this team's thirteen and three. They're top fifteen in the country right now. Give it time. Give this team an opportunity to kind of catch their breath and play you know play up to that caliber of basketball that we've seen throughout the first you know month and a half of the season. I think that Oklahoma's going to be there. Adam, we just got another question on Twitter to throw this back on uh, back over to football. If you had to predict Oklahoma football's record next season, what would you do? You want to take this one or me? <sighs> That's so tough. I, I do look at the SEC schedule, and I know there's a scary name in LSU there. I really have a lot of questions about what LSU will be, especially at the end of the year. Same way I said about TCU uh, at the same time last year. I was like, I know they're the the tough team. They're kind of the name team on OU schedule going into 2023. And by the time we got to TCU, they were fighting for a bowl game. They were not the same team at all that played for a national championship. I do wonder about that with LSU, with the receivers that they lost, with the quarterback they lost, um, with the transition and defensive coaching staff that they're going to have. I, I really have a lot of questions about that game. Um, and so I, I do think there will be some some differences and changes, like Ole Miss, too. Like mm-hmm. They look loaded, but do they have the roster cohesiveness or is, you know, like we talked about, I think it was James in the chat earlier saying that, you know, teams that have so many portal guys could never win a national championship. Well, does that also... Mm-hmm keep Ole Miss from reaching their ceiling. So there is a lot of questions, despite, I think, some tough teams being on the schedule for OU. You never know what what might happen. I I generally think, I think 10 and 2 is reasonable. I mean, uh, not Wisconsin, (laughs) Alabama. I'm looking at Wisconsin on a map uh, behind your face, Tyler. But um, Alabama coming to town is interesting now because there's going to be changes in that program. And... You know, it could be something as simple as Kaylin DeBoer saying, hey, you know, we, we get on the bus at this time instead of that time. There's going to be a lot of adjustment there. And I wonder I wonder how, you know, they look when they come to Norman towards the end of the year mm-hmm. as well. So there's a lot of things there that are, are changing the SEC. And then you look at Oklahoma, who should reach higher consistency, higher competitive depth, higher knowledge of the system, um, mm-hmm. better players across the board, continuing to to make this roster better. So I think 10 and 2 is is reasonable. And I I don't think OU fans should settle for anything less. I mean, this is Oklahoma. I agree with you as far as, you know, expectations, you know, what we what the brand of football is at the University of Oklahoma, what we should expect to to be each and every season. But 
I do think that Oklahoma fans, you need to – I don't want to say prepare yourselves because Oklahoma is going to be competitive next year. I'm not saying that. It's not just going to be, okay, we're going into the SEC. You know, the sky is falling. We're going to go 6-6. Six and six. No. But I, I think ultimately we'll see how this roster ultimately turns out after spring football if they're able to land maybe an offensive lineman or two because that is, for me, that that is the difference between maybe winning a couple of games versus losing them next season, especially yeah. you know when you're going to Auburn, you're going to the Grove, you got to go to Baton Rouge uh, late at night. You've got to be able to hold up in the trenches. So we'll see how Bill Beanbow's group ultimately shakes out. But if you made me pick right now, ultimately I feel a lot better about Oklahoma winning that game at home against Alabama just because Nick Saban's not on the sidelines. There's going to be a little bit of roster turnover in Tuscaloosa, but. I mean, Alabama, Ole Miss, LSU, I mean, those are going to be your big three. Texas is obviously number four. And then you've got two really tough road games in Jordan-Hare at Auburn. And then you got to go to Columbia to take on Missouri. So if I if I had to pick it, based on the, the outlook of this roster right now, I would probably throw this eight and four, if you made me pick it right now, 10 and two being the ceiling, but – Make no mistake about it. We got a couple. We got uh, Lane on here, or James, saying that if the offense doesn't mess the bed, I think we can go eleven and one. I'll say this, James: if Bill Beanbow can get this offensive line playing to the caliber that it's going to take in the SEC, Oklahoma has the pieces at every other spot on this roster. I think to go ten and two or eleven and one. Man, if we go eight and four, I, I think we're talking hot seat for Brent Medibles going into twenty twenty five, and that's not I'm a conversation not, I'm not that there I, I want to have. Um, and you didn't even mention Tennessee, who they could be coming to Norman. They could be, you know, third best in the SEC potentially, if depending on how Nico Yama Liaba, mm-hmm. to my the best of my pronunciation abilities, he looked okay against Iowa. Iowa's a tough defense, but like if he is a hit as a five star in year two, like who knows where Tennessee could be. Um so a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions, um, and a really pivotal year uh, for Oklahoma coming up in twenty twenty four. So you're going, 10 and, you're, you're going 10 and 2, I'm going 8 and 4. Is that where we're at right now? Yeah, and I I do agree with Lane in the chat there talking about the offensive line and wondering about that. I, I just think that it will get to a point where it, it'll it'll work out. Um, will mm-hmm. it be perfect? No. I don't think it'll be like a Joe Moore award line or here's, anything like that, but I think it'll the, here, be closer to that than disaster. Last thing, and then we'll wrap this up. This is my last little tidbit on the offensive line. Bill Beanbow is good of a – as good of a coach as he is, as a fantastic developer of young talent, you know, turning them into draft picks as it comes, being able to tie this thing together with duct tape string and be able to go out there and put together a feasible offensive line to win nine, 10, or even 11 ball games in the Big 12, your, your margin for error no longer exists going into the SEC mm-hmm. because that's the biggest difference outside of Ohio State and Michigan. And you can even throw Oregon in there as well with as good as good of a job as Dan Landing has been doing recruiting. The SEC, the difference, everybody's got skill talent. Everybody. I'd say you know, 40, 40, 30 to 40 teams in college football, um, they've got the skill talent. It's the guys in the trenches that make the difference. And if you're not going to be able to go out there and put together a feasible offensive line that can protect Jackson Arnold and, and, you know, run the football, then, yeah, I think that you're going to be looking into a situation where you're staring eight and four down the barrel. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. We'll see how I feel as spring football, you know, kind of comes around and we see how this roster ultimately shakes up. But, again, if you had to make me uh, – if you had a gun to my head right now, I'm going to go eight and four for next season. And I do sure. not think that that is warrant of Brent Venables being on the hot seat. 
not not for firing after 2024 but i think going into 2025 is very much like make or break like you can't you can't go eight and four nine and three in year four in my opinion do you think that's fair i i i still don't think you are i don't think you're giving that conference the credit that it's due when you talk about the the level of competition that this football team is going to be experiencing going up against week in and week out. Big 12, you had Texas. You maybe had one or two other schools that were pretty good each year, but there's not a Kansas, or which, I mean, that's a bad example, but you know you know what I'm saying. Over the course of the yeah. last 15 years, yeah. there's not a Kansas. There's there's not an Iowa State. There's not a Texas Tech on this roster. You know, you're – you're going, you're kind of, you got murderers row next year. You got Tennessee, you got Bama, Ole Miss, LSU, Auburn, and I'll even throw Missouri in there as well with how well they're doing right now in recruiting, uh, especially, you know, in the transfer portal. And we didn't even mention Texas. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to well, go eight and four right now. I mean, that goes back to the conversation we were having earlier of like OU being closer to Ole Miss, Tennessee, who those programs do go eight and four fairly regularly versus your Alabama, Georgia's who never go eight and four. And like, if I'm settling and saying, Hey, eight and four is okay because the conference is tough. Then basically I'm, I'm lowering the bar to a point where I'm accepting that I'm uh, that OU is Tennessee or OU is Ole Miss or OU is Missouri or any of these other middling schools in the SEC that OU does not aspire to be at all. We aspire to be Georgia where we're winning back-to-back national championships or Bama where we're winning, you know, six national championships over the course of Saban's tenure. I know that's, that's lofty. That's not realistic. No program may ever do that ever again in college football, but like shoot for the stars or shoot for the moon, land in the stars, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, to me, eight and four is not acceptable. That's 24 wins in Brent Venable's first four years, an average of eight wins per year. I think that's hot seat status going into 2025. And like you have to produce in that 2025 season to continue on. I mean, that's, that's five years at the university of Oklahoma. If you don't have anything to show for it after 2025, I, I think there's questions. I don't think we'll get there. I don't want to get there. I think Where, Brent's the guy, to be clear. And I think that Brent has this program and this football team on the right trajectory. I think that Brent is the guy ultimately worth where we're wanting to go to be the next Georgia, to be an Alabama, to be a program, or even like LSU that wins a national championship once every you know seven or eight years. I think that Brent is putting this uh, this program in on the right track to be able to do so. But, I mean, Adam, make no mistake about it, Oklahoma right now, and again, Twitter followers, anybody watching this, you can you can come at me for this. Oklahoma is closer to Ole Miss and Missouri right now than they are to Georgia and Alabama. You're, not, le- you're not wrong. It's just it shouldn't be that way. 100% agree. I 1,000% agree. But that's that's where we're at right now. And again, the recruiting is getting better. We've talked about it each of the last couple of episodes where you know you, you're talking about a top seven, top eight recruiting class each of the last three cycles. And again, it's not predicated upon the five star quarterback and a couple of elite skill talent guys that kind of throw the curve off a little bit. You've got elite level guys at all, you know, at, at all 22 positions that you're bringing in. So Brent is transforming this roster. He's transforming the, the overall makeup and the brand of football that this team is playing, but there's still levels to this game. And, you know, Georgia, Georgia's in the penthouse suite. Alabama is in the penthouse suite. Oklahoma, they're a couple floors below that. They're occupying the same space right now with the Texas, with an LSU. I'm not going to throw A&M in there. A&M hasn't won a damn thing except for a recruiting title. Um, but, yeah, there's levels to this. Just got to give it a little bit more time to let these guys, uh, let these coaches develop, um, let these kids kind of grow into it. 
Send your follows and your likes to at the mainline pod on Twitter. Send your hate mail to Tyler Burton seven and uh, let him know uh, how you uh, disagree with him there. So we appreciate everyone watching or listening us this week on the mainline. We will be back next week for some more football talk, some more basketball talk, and who knows what else might uh, come across the schedule. Diamond sports, baby. It's coming. We'll see you guys next week. Appreciate uh, everyone joining us.